Welcome back to the Winging It podcast, how to build, maintain, and totally own a career that you love. Every week, I'm sitting down with an expert to help business owners and career women learn something new that will help them achieve success and balance in a career path that makes them happy. This week, I'm joined by Gemma Bullivan, an HR coach and partner who has more than 20 years of HR experience, from working on the front line and getting the HR basics in place, to taking a seat at the boardroom table as a strategic partner and confidant to the CEO. Gemma is going to talk all about HR for startups and help you get to grips with the things you should and shouldn't be doing. If you're listening to this on your phone, make sure you get the best experience by downloading the Entail app. Entel is an interactive podcast platform that combines the best of audio storytelling with the richness of the web. So this means you'll be able to follow links, view images, follow people on social and much more by just tapping your phone. The music for this podcast is epic, I know. It's been provided by The Edit Album, a curation of copyright-free music for creatives. Our listeners get 25% off with the code SASSY25 and I'll leave the link in the description box or if you're listening on Entel, you'll be able to click the link now. Gemma, hello. Hi there, hi. Thank you for coming in today. I'm so excited for this episode. I've been searching for an HR person for so long and you finally reached out to me on LinkedIn and I was just so happy because I think it's one of those things, small businesses just like, we just don't know what we're doing. It's a minefield, isn't it? But it doesn't have to be. So we're, we can talk a bit more about HR and what what it involves. Okay, so Gemma, tell us who you are, a bit about you, a bit about your story. You told me your story and actually it's really interesting. So can you just start from the beginning? Okay, yes. Fell into HR um, basically to um, effectively, uh, I, I've, I've always loved psychology. I've always loved how people interact. Um, and I wanted to kind of see how that worked within the business context. Um, but as I've moved through different roles, I've worked in kind of big companies like Prudential and Linklaters. Um, I've worked in media companies like Channel 4 Television. Um, I moved to New Zealand um, a few years, 10, 15 years ago and decided to sort of give HR a go over there. During that time, um, I also set up my own business and stepped away from HR. So I got a real flavour of that startup entrepreneurial world that um, you're, that we're speaking to here today. Um, so I kind of feel like I've been on both sides of the camp. Um, came back to the UK um, quite by surprise. I came back really to do some interim work to feed more money into my business. My business had hit a little bit of cash flow challenges, so I thought, well, when I set the business up, I thought I can always go back to HR. And so go back to HR I did, but initially just temporarily to try and sort of um, fund fund my way through the, the uh, tricky patch in my business. Um, and so thought, well, I'll come to London and do that um, so that I can kind of reconnect with my family, earn a bit more money than I would in New Zealand and actually really liked being back, which surprised me. You've enjoyed this lovely weather that we've had this week. <laughs> yeah, it rains in New Zealand too. Um, uh, so yeah, so decided to come back. So went back to New Zealand just to make sure that that was the right decision and wind things up, get uh, get the business sorted, sell the house, et cetera, et cetera, because I'd been living in New Zealand for over eight years. So there was quite a lot there. Um, my life was there. Um, and moved back and kind of came back and did HR 
um, decided to leave the business behind, my lovely retail jewellery business, um, because it just wasn't really kind of, didn't really meet up to the expectations that I had. I won't go into that right now. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, came back into HR. So started working back in kind of companies. Um, and then about four years ago, went, um, started to go freelance and sort of did a gradual transition into the freelance world. And so now I'm a coach um, and a consultant in the HR space. Um, and my coaching primarily actually helps people in HR positions, so HR leaders. Okay really coaching and mentoring HR people. Um, but occasionally I, I've got a few clients at the moment who are probably don't have an HR background but somehow have assumed the role. some HR responsibilities from the, the business owner or, or whoever it might be. So, um, yeah, there's some sort of, you know, it, 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 the challenges vary um, that they're facing. So I kind of coach and mentor them as well. Is that more sm- more like smaller businesses where perhaps you wouldn't have an HR person in-house? They do tend to be. So when I'm sort of doing coaching slash mentoring, um, you know, coaching is all about kind of helping the person find their own answer. Mentoring is about actually kind of guiding somebody to the answer and actually using your own experience to sort of suggest ways to approach something. So sometimes, you know, I do a blend of that depending on what the client needs. And the people that are in that sort of non-HR background, but they just need to be able to sort of figure the HR stuff out and probably doing more mentoring with um, just to sort of really help them and point them in the right direction. Amazing. Okay, so let's talk small businesses and startups. So I think quite a lot of startups these days or potentially, you know, people like me in the creative space, uh, we start up as a, I mean, I would never have called myself a freelancer because I always wanted to be a business and, you know, to have something more than that. Um, but we start off as one man band, let's call it. And we get to a point where we think, actually, you know, I don't want to say no to anything, so I should take someone on. What are some of the first things that you need to have a little bit of a think about when you want to start taking people on? So I think it's coming down to the question of what you mean by taking on. So you can um, have a have a um, an arrangement in place where you're partnering with somebody and you kind of you have a kind of you know a, a, an agreed way of referring work to each other or having a commission structure where you, you that person is actually an associate of yours so you don't employ them but they kind of maintain yeah. their own status but you kind of have an agreement that you kind of pass work through them you then invoice the company on their behalf and they invoice you and you usually take a cut and so on. What that then means is that you don't have the employment responsibility of those people. Um, They are kind of responsible for themselves. Um, But you do have some responsibility to the arrangement that's in place with them, which we can come on to. I think of the obvious downside of that is you can't guarantee that they're going to be available. So if you know that you have a, a, an ongoing need and you want to invest in actually paying somebody for you know a fixed amount of kind of hours in a week on an ongoing basis, um, you have plenty of work or you can see the pipeline is going to give that that work and you want to put that uh, commitment in place then you might actually be ready to employ somebody. And employing somebody is a much more kind of 
um, permanent um, yeah. arrangement, and, and with it comes that kind of that uh, that additional range of responsibilities of being an employer. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, so we're kind of talking a little bit about freelancers there, aren't we? And this is interesting because mm. this is actually a topic that came out when I was recording some episodes yesterday um, with two different people. Um, and it's nice to see different sides of the story here because one um, was particularly uh, talking particular about freelancers and how amazing it is to work with freelancers, which it is. And the other one said, you know, working with freelancers is amazing. But actually, if you do want that commitment, having someone that perhaps works even part time, I know it's difficult to find people part time. Um, but even to have that is is sometimes a little bit better for businesses. So it's nice to see from both sides. Um, so if you do want if you want to take the plunge and actually employ someone and mm. have them on uh, your payroll, is there certain responsibilities that we have there? Absolutely. Well, you've mentioned one, which is payroll. So you've got to actually have a means. <laughs> you've got to pay them. <laughs> you've got to pay them. You've got to have a means to pay them. You've got to have a means to know exactly what tax is payable. So the best way to do it is to get your accountant to actually help mm. with that. Um, I do know some people who don't, who actually do it themselves, and it is possible to do it themselves yourself. I actually do my payroll myself. Yep, it begrudgingly. Is yes, um, all of these things, I think, it, it applies in all of business, doesn't it? Yeah, They're, you can actually do it. It's just how much of it do you want to be doing versus paying somebody else to do for you but yeah payroll is one thing um, the other thing that is probably really key is you do have an obligation to have a written statement and a written contract in place okay there's a legal requirement for that to be in place within a certain time frame I think it's eight weeks but most people would have a contract in place kind of before you've even started because yeah. most people want to see what the terms are yeah and I suppose as an employer you want to have that security that you know um, that they're gonna come to yeah. work on the day that they're supposed to start and I think one thing I would say about that is that they tend to sort of emerge in quite an ad hoc way and that's okay but if your business starts to pick up pace and you really start to kind of employ more and more people um, and you quite naturally go back to the original contract that you've used if you haven't really thought that contract through you might start noticing that there's some things that maybe you could swallow with only one person but the moment you've got 10 people that actually has an implication so an example of that is um, I've got a coaching client at the moment who is looking at holiday entitlements I knew you're going to talk about holiday um, and what she's noticing is that this company um, started out with quite a generous entitlement, quite a relaxed approach to how that entitlement worked, no real kind of look at kind of how the accruals might happen, whether you have to actually kind of use the entitlement up, and so on and so on. And as a result, now that the company is much bigger, there's actually quite a big liability there because there's people with very high holiday entitlements. And of course, every time there's another person, another person... They're the, all expecting the same. The impact of that yeah. um, keeps getting multiplied. Um, so I use that as an example just to sort of say, you don't have to overthink it too much. Make sure that the con you know there are templates out there that you can use. Um, ACAS um, is a great source for, for templates. Okay, how do we spell that? ACAS.org.uk. Oh, awesome. I'm actually going to write that down. Um, 
and and I can talk a bit more about ACAS because I think they're they're a, they're a good place to sort of um, find a few things. Yeah. Um, but if you don't like the templates that you find, you know, you can amend them. You can get them adjusted. Um, if you can find somebody that will help with kind of just giving it a once over from a legal perspective, if you maybe have some legal advice, even if they're not employment lawyers that have helped you with other aspects of kind of your business, they may actually give you some pointers and it not be overly onerous to sort of have a have a proper contract kind of yeah. review of it. Um, but just think about it. Give it more than just a cursory like download off the internet and and put yeah, it in really place. Yeah, have a read through. Have a read through. Have a think about kind of what you do and don't want in place in the contract. I mean, I suppose the other thing with that is that, I mean, we've all been employed at some point in our lives, whether we are a business owner or not, and having a think about the types of things that you've previously had in the contract, and then you know reading through a new one, thinking you know. Do I need to have X, Y, and Z in there? I might not need it now, but perhaps I will in the future. And actually, if you're a new employer, it is good to start off where you would like to move on if you see your business growing. Yeah. And there are some core basics that you're legally obliged to have in the contract, and you'll find that online. You'll find that on the government websites. You'll find that on, probably find that on ACAS as well. Um, they, you, you're likely to have those things in place anyway because they're just, you know... Obvious. Obvious. They're, you know what's what's the who's the employer how much are you going to pay what what are the expected hours the things that are just sort of quite basic are yeah. are a requirement to put in there yeah the lengthy lengthy contracts that some of us have seen when we've been in employment are not a legal requirement um they sort of are you know born of lawyers getting very enthusiastic about things that are a good idea to be in a contract um and i think you know as businesses grow, perhaps yes, longer and longer contracts do become the norm. But as a as a as a startup, you can actually kind of do um, work with much more minimal information in a contract, and it'd be perfectly fine. Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point that you raised because I've previously, um, I've in the past had lawyers do contracts, um, most specifically a GDPR contract, which. I wasn't expecting to be as expensive as it was, but you know, we all learn from our mistakes. I got in a panic and thought, I'll just throw money at it and hope that it's all right. And actually, you know, it was a great contract, but it was so long. I was thinking, God, anyone that I send this to is like, I'm not going to read this. I'm not going to read this. It's just like bananas, what was in there. But I mean, it covers, yeah. it covers your back, but then, you know, lawyers can get carried away can't they they can and i think at the end of the day it's what's what's sensible so if you have a business plan that you think genuinely you are intending to grow you're going to scale your intention is that you know over a reasonably short period of time it is going to become an entity that you want to sort of create um, then it's probably worth investing more in some of this sort of infrastructure the hr infrastructure and then all the other things that are not hr than if you are literally just screaming out for some help, you think you've got like one, you know, enough work for one or two people, but no real intention to scale immediately beyond that. You're probably going to actually be okay to, um, you know, work on a slightly more minimal basis um, in terms of what you need. Amazing. So that's for 
employees. Now, we spoke about this a little bit before and I said to you earlier that I had, as a result of speaking to you on the phone, I'd gone and uh, got myself one of these. But when you work with freelancers, um, it's a slightly different setup, isn't it? And I Mm. think sometimes you just think like, you know, I'm working with a freelancer. We both know what to expect of each other. They've told me how much they want. That's fine. Like, I know they won't be available all the time, but let's just go with it. And that's kind of, it's a verbal contract if you like um but because freelancers are you know the type of freelancer i use are very creative people you know to send a contract sometimes feels a little bit like i think sometimes people can take offense to it and be like why do you not trust me but actually i think the important thing to know about contracts in that in that sense is that um is that you both know what you're expecting of each other and i think that's only a great thing but I'd actually never previously sent out contracts to my freelancers and you explained to me on the phone that that was not a good thing, a habit to get into. Yeah, well, again, I suppose it's down to um, the, the the risk if you've got like one or two and you kind of, you know, you, you work with the same people all the time and that, you know, that the risk is relatively minimal, then it probably is fine. It's a little bit like um, you can live without... Um, you know contents insurance for your house but you live with that risk right yeah um and if that were to go wrong and you get burgled then you are stung so it's the same with hr to an extent which is you can live with certain amounts of risk within the letter of the law but if something goes wrong you you are stung with freelancers i think um you know there's a there's a um there's a tax implication um that a lot of people don't appreciate um, this is the uh, the nationally titled IR35. Um, the uh, HMRC love to call things like that. You know, your P45 oh and your God, it's P60, so <laughs> P11D. Um, well, this is IR35, and IR35 is a term that's used to describe whether, in layman's terms, how to determine if somebody is genuinely freelance or actually an employee in disguise so by that I mean that really when you're a freelancer you have lots of um, tax benefits as a result of that in terms of actually not necessarily paying the same kind of PAYE that an employee would pay having a different way of actually kind of running your accounts being able to claim things back being able to manage your accounts in a different way and if done in a partic- in the right way, it can be tax advantageous. Now, of course, HMRC want to make sure that people don't take that route to avoid the taxation approach of being an employee. So they're really interested in people who say they're freelancers and they're actually not. They're interested in those people, those individuals, and they're also interested in the organisations who maybe use that route instead of employing people. If you employ somebody, you have to pay employers NI, national insurance, and another sort of, there are one or two other kind of taxes and levies to sort of consider that happens as part of your PAYE process, the the payroll process. So HMRC are really interested in those employers too. Um, Now, an absolute warning on this is that really HMRC are not that focused on the really small businesses. So the risk that I mentioned before is minimised by the fact that HMRC are much more likely to be going for the big corporates playing this game than the the small employers. 
Um, and if you do happen to get caught, so if you have a freelancer who isn't, a, you know, isn't a genuine freelancer, and I'll come on to what I mean by that in a second, the chances are you can sort of actually kind of work your way through that, and it's not going to be a massive problem. But it's worth considering if you are quite risk averse and you want to make sure that you're doing things in the proper way. Um, and if you are also um, thinking about actually kind of expanding and growing, like I mentioned earlier, where it's maybe okay to carry a small risk on one person, but think about whether that were to multiply by 20 or 30 or whatever yeah. your business plan might, might suggest before you know where you are, you might actually have a much bigger risk to consider. What HMRC say is an employee is really somebody who is basically only working for you, number one, um, and they use some criteria to sort of determine that. So, you know, are you, as a freelancer, working for more than one organisation, you know, providing work and invoicing to multiple organisations? Um, are you, as the freelancer, carrying the risk of that work? So do you have professional liability insurance um, or do you rely on the risk being absorbed by the person who's, uh, who's providing that work for you in terms of any, any impacts? What equipment do you use? How in control are you of actually delivering that service? So could you and, um, offer an alternative person to do that work for you? Those are the sorts of things they look for. There's a, lo there's a whole bunch of things and you can put ticks and crosses in each of the boxes and still come out more or less okay. So it, there isn't really a hard and fast, you've got to tick every box, but as a general kind of, you know, principle, you've kind of got to have that kind of the majority have got to sort of work in that way. That then determines that you're a freelancer in a nutshell. So there are a lot of people out there who are probably in the sort of the middle ground of that, who maybe are more like a fixed term contract employee, but they're invoicing on a weekly or monthly basis to the exact same um, um, entity, company, um, and they have to be very careful that they don't do that for years and years and years. Um, and typically two years is a cut off, so if you keep use if you keep going with the same employer for over two years, Monday to Friday or whatever is your work pattern and no other kind of people, then you're likely to actually um, be in that kind of risky category and have to sort of tick quite a few of the other boxes, if that makes sense. It does make sense. I'm You've got that kind of slightly horrified look on your face. <laughs> no, do you know what? I don't really want to say it, but I was probably in that position at one point within my career once I left an agency um, but I think it's a relatively new it's a relatively new career chosen career path for people of my age to just go yeah. I'm going to leave full time employment and do my own thing because yeah. I feel like I'd be better at doing it by myself um, so at the time I think you know with a, a lot of other stuff that you know happened at work when I was fully employed um I think I was slightly naive to that sort of stuff. And you just think, well, whatever, like, it's going to be fine. No one's going to come after me because I'm, mm. like, one person. But, mm. um, yeah, I think you are slightly sometimes naive to that sort of stuff and actually just thinking, I'm going to leave my job and be, become a freelancer. Mm. You don't necessarily look up 
those types of things because the type of people that do it are creatives and we just don't think of that well, type of stuff who would know to google ir35 i mean really as a term <laughs> if you kind of leave leave business and decide to kind of go off your own on your own and you sort of do you know what it'd be really interesting to see what comes up if i google right now am i a freelancer or an employee will it come up what are the bets IR35 is not coming up. That's really interesting. Because you wouldn't think to, you yeah. wouldn't even begin to think to look at that. Because I think most people just think, well, I'm now freelance, so I need to like start saving my receipts. And that's kind of all you think yeah. of. Yeah. So it's not something that everybody needs to go out and have a big panic about. Um, it's something to have in your mind. And the reason I say that is obviously we, we don't want to um, kind of be tax evaders um, or doing things kind of knowingly or unwittingly um, incorrectly of course um, but it is increasingly on the government's agenda so um, there's be already been quite a movement in the public sector of, of kind of trying to sort of sweep this through the public sector I won't go into boring detail <laughs> um, but the government has made it quite clear that they're going to move the attention to the private sector now, like I said before, this is looking at big businesses. You know, HMRC is not interested in in the kind of the bits and pieces, if you like, you know, the sort of the... We're the bits and pieces. The bits yeah. and pieces. They kind of, you know, they need... The nuts the, and bolts. Exactly. They want to really focus their attention on kind of the, the, the bigger groups of, of people, obviously. Um, but it was in the 2018 budget, for anybody who, you know, um, read that as a bit of bedtime reading. I did not, but thank you for informing me. Um, and um, I think, you know, um, quite a lot of other things, shall we say, have been discussed um, politically for the last couple of years that perhaps have taken the attention away from maybe what have otherwise have been sort of a bit more kind of explored in the news um, for us. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just, it's there in the background. It's not something to kind of completely worry about here and now except to sort of just think have it thinking about yeah the other thing though just to think about is have you got a contract in place for your freelancers regardless of that particular part of the equation the tax part of the equation but simply as a a point of clarification an established agreement of what your deliverables are um, of what the expectations are um, you know when you employ somebody you can actually be quite clear about what you expect from that individual and you have ongoing performance management or ongoing yeah. conversations with that person. You set the, um, you know, objectives for people. You kind of, you know, depending on what you need um, them to deliver for you. And really, you've got much more freedom in a way to do that quite nimbly with freelancers too. But if there's no way of actually recording that, that can start to run away with you, especially if you've got more than a couple um, on the go. Yeah. Um, and so it's not a bad thing to have just to be able to sort of occasionally come back to that question of, well, you know, if a deliverable isn't met, a service level agreement hasn't been met, if there are some challenges to kind of, you know, that uh, what's being delivered, then that is basically what you go back to. 
as your kind of well let's let's revisit what we agreed we were going to do in the first place and see you know if, if if we need to sort of have a have a different agreement yeah and I'll give an example of this um because it's something I thought of recently is uh the graphic designers we work with they're so talented so amazing at what they do and I love working with them and it's kind of unspoken that anything that they design for our clients is property of sassy digital and you know usually they're happy with that but you know it is always in the back of my mind what happens god forbid if some kind of relationship were to break down they go well actually i didn't sign a contract so actually all of that work is mine and i shall promote it as so so that is something that i for our own sake wanted to have in a contract just that everyone understands and obviously i don't want to not give them the credit but at the same time (laughs) it's our clients that come to us because we work with these amazing people and you know i want to share their talent but also it's kind of i guess a brokerage isn't it it is um, i mean that's a fantastic point intellectual property is one whether you are employing somebody or whether they're a freelancer that you need to be really clear about who owns what's being evolved and developed um and 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 have have a have quite a transparent candid conversation and then written agreement about that to um to ensure that everyone knows what's going on with that if there's some really sensitive information that people need to be party to in order to provide you with the service whether you employ people or whether they're freelance then you know you need to think about you know privacy clauses non-compete clauses um, things that might that that are going to protect your business interests so let's say that you have a you know a targeted sales pipeline and you're going after particular clients and you're developing this really new funky service line and nobody's thought of it before and you're going to really target a particular part of the market and you need some help to evolve that what's going to stop that person from actually kind of wandering off and telling somebody else exactly what you're doing oh yeah um so it's it's really important to really think through some of those things and have some agreements in place and i think you know when people ask me about hr and the and the term hr you know I often just come back to some of its basic principles and one of them is we're all adults we are you know we have to I'm smiling I like that (laughs) well we have to always keep things on an adult to adult basis yeah and there's always a tendency and there's traditionally been a tendency that somehow the HR role is something of a parent rather than an adult and you know in psychology there's this kind of whole concept of parent adult child Um, and in HR I've always talked about the fact that in a culture and 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 bringing a culture to life and getting the best out of people at the end of the day what you're striving for at all times is adult to adult relationships so the moment you become sort of the parent child if you're the parent then somebody becomes the child you can't be an adult when there's a parent role involved and you can't be an adult when there's a child involved because those roles don't don't work. You have to strive to be adult adult. So if you're in a dispute, you have to try and seek that adult adult place to actually have that kind of conversation. Um, if you are trying to negotiate a contract, that's what you're trying to establish. Um, 
and if you are setting up a kind of infrastructure for a business that is you know ready to employ people then i think it's a i think it's absolutely essential that you do it on an adult adult basis and you're not there dictating the rules and the responsibilities and the regulations and what people can and can't do and and unnecessary restrictions which starts to put you into a parent role rather than an adult role yeah definitely so with that in mind if you are really starting to have to broach some of these really tricky conversations like you know who owns the IP and um, and all the rest those sorts of things that we've talked about then you know think of it from an adult adult perspective what is it that you think is fair and reasonable what you know establish what they think is fair and reasonable have and have a conversation about it and get to an agreement where you've got something written down and everybody feels comfortable with it also I I mean there's two there's two things to what I'm about to say is that I think when you run a business especially when it's you're just starting out or you know even if you're a few years down the line you're very impressionable to what other people have to say so someone might say oh you know you've got to make sure that that belongs to you you know make sure you've got this in a contract that in a contract but everyone has a slightly different way that they like to work and a slightly different way of doing things so there's that is sometimes you shouldn't be too uh you shouldn't be so impressionable to what other people have because actually that can cause you problems when you're trying to make agreements like that yeah. um but then the other side to it is that actually if you're not really sure what you're supposed to be doing i've actually found it super helpful to speak to people that have dealt with uh, dealt with negotiations like that in the past that have been difficult i'm i'm particularly avoidance of conflict so anything where people are like no no i'm not doing what you say i'm like oh okay i'm sorry but actually having to learn to be like okay that's fine but you know where can we meet in the middle because i'm not happy with that um and speaking to people like my dad who has worked in the same company for 30 odd years um speaking to my boyfriend's mum who ran a company um her having to deal with all the hr stuff she um she's given me some great advice on that as well um and then you know various other people that you come across that have have been in those sort of situations can be really helpful especially if you don't have anyone else to turn to and you don't want to read some rubbish article on the internet (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i mean everything that you're describing there is is adult behavior is is kind of you know yes i'm an adult yay (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally so why is an employee handbook and do we need one I have an allergic reaction to employee handbooks. <laughs> what is... Uh, well, this is why I'm asking you, because I actually have no idea, but someone the other day was like, oh, have you got an employee handbook? Like, <sighs> employee handbooks are, have grown over time to be um, something along the lines of a collection of the policies, the company policies. And in some companies, they are massive, massive books because I've been there oh and my read God. one and signed one. And I am going to actually now go back to, uh, is the company being a parent and telling you all the do's and don'ts of how you should and shouldn't behave, therefore you need an enormous handbook to detail all of that? Or do you need an agreed set of principles, um, something you know that we all abide by, and a general agreement that if somebody does something that you're not happy with, you have a conversation with them and you say, I don't, you know, we need to agree that that's not going to happen again. 
do you need a handbook for that? So over the course of my HR career, I have been asked to write a policy every time something has happened. And it's, it, it takes me back to school. You know, the minute that somebody plays up in class, there's a whole rule applied to everybody in relation to whatever it was that that person did. Yeah. And do you need that? Because it was for that person and there's like a thousand people in the school and there was one person that did that. Therefore, we need a rule for it. I mean, it's like... I mean, I guess sometimes it's things that someone does something and no one would ever think to do that. But does that mean you need a policy for it? Uh, That is my question entirely. So I have gone through so many handbooks. I've been asked to update them, review them, critique them, create them. And um, it's is as I said I have an allergic reaction to them because I don't actually think they serve much of a purpose I had never met an employee who sat down and read theirs cover to cover if you need something you what you need is guidance around some of the core basic processes so the things that you are likely to want to refer to things like um, what what happens if um, if there's a, if there's a need for a disciplinary process what happens if there's a need for uh, you know to raise a grievance um, what, are, what happens if I'm um, off sick? Who do I need to call? They're guidelines. They're gu- it's a guidance. It's a set of guidance. Um, there's laws in place around how you should manage a disciplinary, and you can just grab that off of ACAS. The steps that you need to follow, they're the steps that we're going to follow. So my argument has always been, why don't we just say we follow the government guidelines <laughs> to a disciplinary or you just simply kind of write the, the the stages that are likely to happen and that's a disciplinary policy it doesn't need to go in a handbook um i suppose it's the thing to note about all of these things is it's so different if it's a big company so the guidebook that i was the handbook that i was referring to that i'd read um i worked for a company that was owned by a massive company that had several different companies within that company you know they buy smaller ones and merge them all into one I'm not going to name the company um for obvious reasons but uh yeah that was i think it was just like a company-wide thing that everyone had and i guess it was just the same but branded differently but you're not going to need something like that in a small company it's no. just not you don't um you, you need a guiding set of principles if you've got a few employees, um, only because you just want to make sure that people feel comfortable that what your approach, you know, of, of what your approach is in a particular situation. And yes, policies do emerge to kind of manage um, consistency of approach once you've got multiple decision makers and you know the thing that things stop coming sort of through you and start going through other people and you devolve decision making to other people but it still doesn't need to be in the form of a handbook as such it's just a collection of 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 of, of basic policies there's a there are a couple of exceptions to that um if you're pitching for work in large organizations large organizations often ask for what's your policy on what's your policy on what's your policy on you know do you have an equal opportunities policy do you have a corporate social responsibility policy um and i've worked in places where we've created one so that we can just include it in the pitch because it's basically just articulating what our approach is because at the end of the day a culture is is a combination of what you say you do and what you actually do 
So just because you say you do something doesn't necessarily mean that's what you actually do. So, you know, the two things do have to match. And you don't have to say what you do in every situation if that's what you do, if, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, it does. Um, so it, it, in a lot of ways, some of these things are a capture of what you do. Um, but you, do, you still do it. You don't need it written down in order to do it. Um, so, yeah, I have seen some really interesting variations on a theme of employee handbook that I'm a bit more of an advocate of. Um, things that are sort of a bit more like a culture book, um, okay. a little bit like a sort of, you know, the way we do things around here, kind of intended for when you've just joined and, you, you know, you asking some, answering some of those questions that maybe you don't feel comfortable asking or, you know, who who really runs the roost around here and you know some really kind of interesting takes on a a handbook which is actually more about how how do things work around here which is an entirely different thing as we all know you know you join somewhere new and you're told all these things and you've got all these processes and then you go and have a cup of coffee with someone and go so tell me what you really need to know (laughs) and find out that way yeah so some companies have made some progressive companies have made an attempt to sort of try and capture that in a handbook okay um but i mean they're probably companies that have got you know a bit of time and and money to invest in that as being part of their kind of bigger... we just don't have the time as smaller businesses. Who would want to invest in that? And you don't need that because when you've only got a handful of people that you're the one going having the cup of coffee, so you don't need to write it down as well. You just go and have a coffee. (laughs) Enjoy the coffee. There are some things that you do probably need to really think about. You mentioned one earlier, which was GDPR. Ah, yes. Mm, Your face has dropped. Um, Do you know what? It's one of those things that everyone's pranging about the time. So for anyone that doesn't know, GDPR is the General Regulation Data... No, General Protection Data Regulation. Data Protection Regulation. wrong way around. GDPR. So when this all happened, all of my clients were getting in touch because obviously we build websites, uh, we manage mailing lists, which means that I have access to a huge amount of data. Yeah. A huge amount of data. And in terms of my responsibilities that was getting a, I can't remember what the contract's called now, but basically a contract with my clients that says, we give you access to this data, you can do this with this data, yeah. um, just so that everyone's safe and covered if anything were to ever happen. Yeah. Um, but on the other side, it's, uh, it's one of those things where people have had to update their privacy policies on the website cookies policies because even without knowing it on your website you are collecting people's data if you're using google analytics you're collecting people's data if you're sending out emails you are obviously collecting people's data but within those emails there is something called a web beacon which uh sends back to your mailchimp account whatever it is that you're using that tells you if people have opened it or not so that's another form of data so there's just data absolutely everywhere that you can have access to and without telling people what you're doing with it you're not doing the right thing yeah and so putting the employee angle onto that is you've got some obligations as an employer to your employees and the data that you hold and also the people who may have applied for a job and you know so cvs that you may hold 
um, and um, how long you would hold on to that data, um, your responsibility to destroy that on request, um, all sorts of different things to do with GDPR that not only touch your kind of um, business transactions to sort of use an umbrella term, you know, so things like how you manage things on your website, how you manage things for your customers, but also your employees. So, and, and that includes freelancers. So it's because it's everybody that you that you touch and interact with. Um, so, because of that piece of legislation, there are things to consider with, you know, in terms of GDPR, which is another reason to have a written contract in place with your freelancers, because at least then you can have a statement in there that kind of manages that aspect. Um, the other big piece of legislation that is worth just bearing in mind, which never is never really um, got huge amounts of risk attached to it, but is nonetheless has quite a strong um, set of consequences if it if it were to sort of um, go hor- horribly wrong, is um, anti-bribery. Ah, yes. Do you know, I was actually going to mention this because I had... Within, <laughs> oh, marvellous. Yeah. It's been such a delightful conversation. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it has because... <laughs> no, the only reason I say this is because I... It's quite a big thing in agencies mm. and in media because it's not bribery not as in giving people money going you know I'm going to give you this and you like yeah. bump this up or whatever it's things like uh, I'm not going to even say the industry that it's very rife in but uh, it's things like taking people out for dinner mm. taking people to see Jay-Z in concert in their box at the O2 taking people to various different events can be seen as bribery because you're favouring and as, as I understand it and I am no expert on anti-bribery um, but as I understand it it's particularly when you're in the middle of something where they're, tr- they're making a, de- a, a, a decision a commercial decision so if you're pitching something and then you go out and schmooze them in the middle of all of that that is that's a big no-no apparently but um, I don't think I mean if you're pitching for something and I don't know five other people are pitching for it as well no, actually, I was going to say, I don't know if companies would be up for that, but they probably would. Because actually, when you're pitching for something, it's more a case of, you know, do they like what you do? Tick. Yeah. Do they like you and your company? Tick. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think, you know... It happens. It happens. The only reason I mention it is that um, there's quite a strong um, liability if you are um, found to be kind of in breach of anti-bribery. And and when I say if you are found, because you are the director of the company, you take the hit for anything that happens in your company. So the actions of your employees would be, the consequence would be on you as the director. and it goes up to it's obviously hefty fines are typically you know the the main thing but it can include imprisonment now of course Ugh. the likelihood of imprisonment on any kind of you know is is going to be on this the massive corporate scale not on the scale of a small business but because it has this legal um kind of you know blanket around it you do have to consider it as part of your process. So a lot of companies, if you, you know, whilst I am, as I've said before, allergic to employee handbooks and, you know, myriads and 
massive, massive sets of policies. The ones that I do think are required are the ones that genuinely help employees. So, uh, you know, guidance around processes and what to do when. Um, helping employees kind of figure out how they can complain in a protected way, how they can sort of do whistleblowing, things like that. Things that are, uh, protect an employee's kind of interests, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for. And the ones that have got some fairly serious consequences if things go wrong, so GDPR and anti-bribery. Um, and depending on the industry, health and safety. That's um, interesting that you bring up... Uh, where to go if things go wrong because I think actually as an employee and I'm speaking from being an employee not as a director here I I think when you're when I was younger that was when I first entered my first job and there was a thing or two that I probably should have gone to HR about but actually at the time I didn't really know what the consequences would be for me if I went to HR and because things were so weirdly backward at the company that I was at I didn't feel comfortable going to someone in HR because there was nowhere written you know what you know maybe it was written down you know if you need to go and speak to someone you can it'll have been in that handbook that you say you read but you probably didn't (laughs) Well, it was so long ago, I can't remember. But you know when even it's written down, you're like, you're like, you know, do yeah, you take that yeah. for word? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Again, why have a handbook if people don't even believe what's written in it? Well, there you go. It's explained um, why I no longer work there. But yeah, exactly. And I think ultimately, you know, there's there's got to be a balance. And it really depends on the industry. It really depends on the scale of the industry. Um, you know, if we're talking about employing one or two people, then really, you know, you've got to use your judgment and just get sort of the basic requirements yeah. in place. Um, and I mentioned before, but ACAS is a great source. It's a great source of templates. It's if you're listening on Intel, I'll link it for you. And if you don't have Intel, you should download it. It's a really good app. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and they also do training. So, you know, if you're feeling really nervous or really completely lost in something um, or you just kind of really want to kind of, you know, get upskill in, 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 in certain areas, um, it, is, it, it is an option to sort of use. They, they run open courses on, mm. on all sorts of things to do with HR, everything from managing a disciplinary, managing conflict, thinking about sort of, you know, diff- grievances, different sort of things that you know you would typically associate with with HR it's not a bad option and they're all over the country so it's not kind of you know you don't have to schlep down to London for it they're they're everywhere so they're you know they're a great they're a great resource when you just sort of want the basics Um, and um, and and then you know there are some reasonably good tools on some of the the government is trying its hardest well not its hardest please don't say it's not trying its hardest It's trying a bit, um, but you can find some like calculators and things on there that can help kind of, you know, if you need to make somebody redundant, God forbid, or you sort of, you know. that I've actually used that before because I got made redundant. Um, then, you know, that is that is one of the places that you can actually get, get some reliable advice. Okay. Beca- because, you know, you do need to know that your advice is, is well, I suppose reliable. The good thing about that website is what's written on there is not fake news it exactly. is government 
exactly. guidelines. So and even if we hate going around in circles. Exactly. And the other thing is, I know it's really tricky when, you, when you're looking up stuff online, but if... Uh, but employment lawyers pump loads of white papers and, and guidance notes out because it's part of their kind of marketing machine. So if something has come from, you know, a, a reasonably reputable kind of um, legal firm that you can sort of see, you know, that the, there are the big ones, you can check them in Kroners if you like, but, you you, you know, you, you can, rec- you know who they are and you yeah. can see who they are. Yeah. They are not going to put anything on their website that is not... Um, trustworthy yeah um, the only thing to check is the date because of course stuff changes yeah, it does, so yeah. you can you can you can happen upon things and read it and think oh you've got the the latest and and if you haven't checked and it says 2016 the chances are it may have you know it may be fine but it's probably worth looking for something a bit more recent yeah that sort of thing but that's an, that's I mean that's another way that's of a really great piece of advice of finding actually. some some free advice yeah that's a really great great tip. Thank you for that. Um, so, I love apps. I've got so many apps on my phone. I haven't actually shared any apps with the listeners yet. Maybe I should do one. I'm not going to do it today, but maybe I should do an episode on my favourite apps. Um, so, I've been asking everyone this, and it's producing really good results. If there's one app that you couldn't run your business or do business without, what would it be? And it can't be social media. So don't say LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> so mine, I would say, is probably relatively boring, but it's just so useful, and it's Dropbox. I just oh, use yes. Dropbox so into it every single day, every single day. Yeah, um, because I can use it on my phone, on my on my tablet, on my you know anything computer. that's on desktop and phone. <sighs> combined yeah. is like a tick for me and then it could, it will download anything from my email straight into the the dropbox as what? well so there's a oh yeah, my god i, I know. didn't know that yeah and uh, i pay for dropbox as well <laughs> i need to get on that um and then you can you can silence parts of dropbox so you don't lose it but you don't have massive clutter so you can sort of you can have it kind of kept you know in the cloud or whatever, wherever it is. I'm not very technical, but you can just have what you know you use now, but not lose yeah. the, the storage of everything else. So you're not scrolling through loads of loads. We of should probably files. actually explain what Dropbox is because sometimes I use it with clients. They're like, what's Dropbox? I'm like, do you live under a rock? <laughs> um, it's a file storing cloud service platform. So you mm-hmm. log on, on the internet and you can just drag and drop your files on there and it stores them there. Um, it's really handy actually when you're sharing files, but also handy to back everything up because let's be honest, yeah. who just keeps stuff on their computer anymore? I I I, I got it initially, it primarily for that, for the fact that then it is because I was constantly getting more and more kind of external hard drives and kind of saving stuff on external hard drives and then putting one in one location and one hard drive somewhere else just in case you know there was a fire or whatever and I just got so bored of that um so I just wanted it initially for that but actually what I found I'm using it for is sharing stuff so I can I can collaborate yeah it's great into business and it's also great um it's also great to share with employees so I I use Dropbox with um Jesse works with me um, and Becky's coming yeah. aboard will we'll use it as well and we just use that to share files because I I don't want them having to constantly ask me for stuff when yeah. actually 
it's already available. Yeah, so they can go in, look at a, f- a, a file, they can update it, then you can go in and you don't have to have actually emailed it to each other because you can both go into the same file. It's great. Amazing. It's not a boring one. It's oh. a great one. Yay! Um, <laughs> so at the end of every episode, I have been asking everyone to give a motivational or inspiring tip of the week. It can be like a phrase that you live by or something. Maybe you've had to think about it. Um, uh, I think all the time I come back to don't sweat the small stuff. Oh, love that. Yeah, I think um, we can get so wrapped up and I suppose everything that we've just talked about um, today can get incredibly detailed, can get, you know, the, the minutiae of detail can start to consume us and you start to get worried about another thing and another thing and another thing. And I think sometimes you just have to lift out of that and just go back to what what am I trying to achieve here? What's the what are the basic principles? What's what's important? What's urgent? Do I need to worry about that? Um, am I overthinking this? Um, I use it in so many different scenarios, and I just think it really helps lift sometimes the burden that you put on yourself in terms yeah, of you does. know over worrying, um, but also just actually really prioritizing and getting you sort of really focused on what's important to do today and don't worry about that um i might never need to do that um applicable to so many things yeah i think sometimes when you're feeling stressed as well you do need to take a step back and think do i really need to be worrying about this absolutely what is my time better spent thinking about and i come across it all the time in coaching i mean people everybody sweats the small stuff we all do it i do it we all do and it's it's more of a sort of a personal reminder to not do it than actually kind of you know i never do it because that that's just not that's just it's not realistic but it it kind of just helps to kind of you know step back and really think about what's important amazing thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom today and that little nugget thank you where can we find you if we want more advice perhaps to even speak to you yeah where are you online so i'm online at um Bullivant. so g-e-m-m-a-b-u-l-l-i-v-a-n-t.co.uk and if you're listening on Intel, I'll link it now. Yeah. Um, and on there, you'll see all the stuff that I do. There's loads of stuff on there. And if you might even find a couple of little um, pages hidden sort of in the depths that uh, that show me kind of, you know, water skiing and all sorts of other crazy Ooh. things. So you have a little dig around. Um, but I do things like, um, I call it power hour coaching, where you can just call me um, for an hour and we'll just nut through something like a really gnarly problem and that's often what I find people okay. like I've described before who have kind of just either landed in this uh, world of HR and they don't know where to start and that kind of like whole kind of let's just have a look at this and figure out what 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 we can do about it and yeah. don't own the problem just like we'll we'll sort it out um so I do that but I also obviously work with kind of you know um, HR leaders in bigger companies um, sort of um, either coaching them or coaching their business leaders um, so all the information about that is on my website um, I also do grief and loss coaching okay so that's another sort of um, angle which again there's loads of information on my website about that but I mostly do that in organisations rather than one to one 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love you to subscribe. Please leave a review because I love them. It keeps me going. It really does. Everyone says that, but it does. And um, you can find me at LucyHitchcock underscore on Instagram and at Digital on Instagram too, where we always share loads of free tips, information. It's like a complete hub of marketing advice. So please go and check us out there and I will see you next time for another episode. Thank you so much, Gemma. Thank you.